Well, I have to confess that one of my major deficiencies is I uh, have a bad sense of direction. It is a genetic deficiency, apparently, but it is not unusual for me to get lost in the car or on a walk, particularly in the days before everybody had GPS on their phone or anything like that. And uh, sometimes I would even read a map and think I knew where I was headed, but then get going and find that I did not know where I was headed. My wife, on the other hand, has an excellent sense of direction. So this can create some tension and conflict, particularly when we're driving, because I usually have the wheel, but she usually knows where we're going. But if I'm honest, sometimes my pride is too great to admit that I don't know where we're going. One of the most tense moments that we had in this regard actually didn't happen when we were in the car, but many years ago, when we'd been married about four years, we visited Washington, D.C., and uh, we uh, went to the National Zoo, the Smithsonian Zoo, and uh, Shannon was six months pregnant, and so it was already tough for her to walk. She forgot to bring her tennis shoes on the trip. Now, in retrospect, we should have probably stopped and purchased some new ones, but I was in seminary, and we were trying to save money, and it just didn't occur to me to buy new shoes. Uh, And if you know, if you've been to D.C., you know that there's a lot of walking, particularly at the zoo. So we went to the zoo, and I kind of glanced at a map, and I thought, I know where we're headed. This is probably a loop like most zoos logically should be or are, and uh, it will take us back to the front, and then we'll hop the metro that we took to get here to the zoo, and we'll go back to our hotel. So we walked through the zoo for, I don't know, an hour or two, and we were kind of tired, and I realized once we hit the end, this is not a loop. Uh, We walked straight through and out the other side of the zoo, nowhere near the metro station. Now, here's where my decision-making process broke down and my lack of planning hurt us, I thought, surely if we just turn out of the back of the zoo and just walk for a while, we will find a metro station or a bus stop or some way for us to get home. So we turned and we began to walk. And I suddenly realized after we'd walked, uh, I don't know, uh, several yards that we were on a very busy road on a narrow sidewalk. And as I looked ahead, that was all I saw was busy road and narrow sidewalk up against this concrete. And so we walked maybe 10 minutes and I kept thinking, we're going to hit somewhere where we can get home and it wouldn't happen. And finally, after about 10, 15 minutes, Shannon says, I just, I can't go any farther. And uh, she said, my feet hurt. I'm tired. I need to rest. And so I kind of explained this wasn't a place we wanted to live or camp. You know, we were on the side of the road. There was nowhere for us to go. She said, well, I have to rest. I said, all right, let me call a a cab. So I saw a number on a cab that zipped by. I called and tried to explain to the man where I was, but I had no idea where we were. And I was like, we're on the side of a road next to a bridge. There's lots of cars. We're behind the zoo. And he goes, all right, be there soon. He never came, right? I'm pretty sure he hung up the phone and was like crazy person and just moved on with his day. So uh, we sat there for a while. Eventually she said, okay, I think I can muster the energy to get back to the back entrance of the zoo. So we walked to the back entrance of the zoo, and I ran and found a guy on a little golf cart, and I said, can you please give us a ride back to the front of the zoo? And he goes, well, that's not really, you know, what we do in these. You know, he's got like a load of monkey food or something back there. I don't know what he was doing, but he's like, I don't do that. And I said, please, my wife is quite pregnant. I'm already in quite a bit of trouble for lack of planning. 
can you please just drive back here and pick us up? And that pregnant was actually the magic word. Nobody wants to be responsible for injury to a pregnant person and their child. So we took the little golf cart. We got back to the front. We managed to get home. But often I think of that story from our lives when I think about this principle that if you do not plan where you're going ahead of time, you will get lost. If you don't know where you're going before you start the walk or the drive, then you won't get anywhere meaningful. That's not only true when we're trying to traverse physical distances, but also when we think about our lives and when we think about a church. If you just go from day to day, week to week, month to month, and year to year in your life, and you don't have any values or any purpose that sort of guides you through life, you could hit the end of your life and say, you know what, I didn't really do anything. I didn't really get anywhere of value. Things just happened to me rather than saying I pursued a path that was significant and meaningful with my life. When we talk about individuals, often what drives the direction that we are going to head is a few things. First of all, the values we set for our lives. So if you and I say, look, I've got a primary value in life that I would like to earn a certain amount of money in my life, that's going to drive to a large extent the kind of job you get, perhaps how you interact with your family, the kind of time you spend or don't spend with your family. It might even affect where you live in the country or in the world. So your values will affect what you do. Also, unique circumstances and personality will affect what you do. So if you say, you know what, one of my circumstances is I live in Texas and I want to make X amount of money and I am able to do math and science, you may say, I want to be a petroleum engineer or start an oil company or something along those lines. And that will drive what you do, how you spend your time, how you think about your life. Well, the same is true when we talk about a church. The values that we have as a church will drive to a large extent what we do. The unique situation we find ourselves in, that we are a church in College Station, Texas, particularly in the south part of this community. We're meeting in an elementary school. All of those types of things will drive what we do moving forward. And of course, one of the dangers that we face as a new church, but I think old churches face it as well, is that we could go from week to week and we could have services and we could have activities and we could meet in groups and never pause to reflect upon why are we doing all of this and where are we wanting to head? What is the mission of our church not only in a broad sense, but specifically for our church. What is it God is calling us to do? What is it God is doing in our midst? And how can we be a part of his mission? So I think it's appropriate as we begin a new semester, before we dive into Ecclesiastes next week, for us to take a week and talk about sort of what I'm calling the state of Grace Creekside. Some of you may have watched the State of the Union this past week. This is our state of the church, so to speak. We're going to talk a little bit about who are we, what are the values that drive where we want to head as a church, uh, what is the situation we find ourselves in, and then how do we contribute to the mission of the church? How can you and I be a part of what God is doing to be faithful to the mission he's called us to so we don't get a year, two years, five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road and turn around and go, boy, we did a whole lot of stuff, 
but we don't really know why. So that's what we're going to do this morning for a little bit. And where I want to begin is by talking about values. I want to talk a little bit about who are we as a church? What are the values that drive our mission? And and the way that I'm going to frame it is through the name of our church, Grace Bible Church. I want to take each of those words and look at how each of those words affects our direction as a church. So first of all, we are committed to the gospel of grace. Grace Bible Church has always been a church committed to the gospel of grace. And here's what I mean. I mean, we are a church that is rooted fundamentally in the idea that eternal life is a free gift of God granted to us on the basis of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That it is an absolutely free gift. So that before we can even begin to talk about what we ought to do for God, we talk about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, a passage that many of you will be familiar with. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace means it's a gift. In fact, it's a bit redundant to say free grace, because grace, by its very definition, is free. It's something that I give to you for free. Romans chapter 11 puts it this way, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. In other words, if I say to you, you have to earn your way to eternal life, you have to work your way into God's favor in that sense, that's not grace, that's works, right? And let me be very frank with you. I think a lot of what passes for Christian teaching in our culture and in this day and age is simply a works-based type of righteousness that is dressed up with the name of Jesus so that we invest a lot of time and a lot of energy communicating the message that God will love you if you just fix your marriage, if you just are honest at work, if you just stop looking at pornography, if you just stop engaging with some substance If you just do better with your temper, then God will give you his favor because you earn it. That mindset is actually a heresy that goes back to the early days of the Christian church called Pelagianism. Pelagius was a fourth century British monk who actually taught that all the grace we need is the grace God has given us to be able to earn his favor. So in other words, Pelagius said, look, the death of Jesus for our sins and the resurrection of Jesus to defeat sin and death, those things are not really necessary for us to receive eternal life. Instead, God has given us all that we need to be able to obey him and earn his favor. And so there was no inherent sin in us and there was no need for God to give us his grace because we are sinners. Instead, Pelagius understanding was that Jesus had just showed us what we could already do in our flesh, which is earn God's favor. And again, much of what passes, I believe, for Christian teaching omits the grace of God and jumps straight into how we earn God's approval. You may or may not know this, but uh, the best-known open-air campus preacher in the country 
is a man named Brother Jed. His name is Jed Smock. Some of you, if you've been at A&M, have perhaps seen Brother Jed. He stands out near the academic plaza or next to the systems building, and he shouts at students as they walk by, and he often will insult their clothing or say that they are evil or whatever it may be, and people come in and listen. He draws a crowd. And he uses the name of Jesus, but his message is all about what you do for God rather than what God has done for you. And so I actually went to his website. Even open-air campus preachers have websites these days. Uh, And Brother Jed has this quote on his website. I consider it an honor to be considered a modern-day Pelagius. This is a man who's preaching supposedly the gospel of Jesus, but it's just Pelagianism dressed up in fancy clothes. At the root of who we are as a church is the belief that what we do will never, ever, ever be enough to earn God's favor. And so before we ever talk about what we do for God, we talk about the gospel. And I believe that it is one of the reasons we have an opportunity in this community to have a significant impact because within a mile of here, there are tens of thousands of men and women who do not understand what God has done for them in Jesus Christ and have not understood the gospel of grace. That belief in grace is actually what drove the beginning of Grace Bible Church 50 years ago. It was a group of men and women who simply said, we will not have a church that is simply the message of works attached to the name of Jesus. Of course, the the biggest objection we often face when we talk about being a church of grace is, well, are you telling people then that they can just live however they ought to live with no consequences at all? Do you encourage sin? Believe it or not, that's the same objection that Paul faces in the book of Romans, chapters 6 through 8. And the reality is that Paul says, no, for those who understand the grace of God, that actually motivates holiness and righteousness. In fact, I would say this, you will not have the power to transform and to model your life after Jesus Christ until you understand the grace of God. When Shannon and I lived in a different neighborhood here in town, I had a neighbor that one week noticed that my lawn was getting a little tall because I had not had the chance to mow it one weekend. We were busy with the church. We had a baby and we were just kind of frazzled. And so he came over and mowed my lawn, probably initially because he thought, uh, I don't really want to live next to this guy whose lawn looks like a jungle, right? So he came over and he mowed it for me. And I went over and I said, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. He said, no, it was my my pleasure. And I said, well, can I do anything for you? He goes, no, 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 no. This is my gift to you. And I said, well, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Next weekend came and Before I could even get out there to mow it, I see him out there mowing my lawn again. And I thought, okay, now this time I'm starting to feel guilty, like a little bit ashamed of the fact that I can't get to it as fast as him. So I went out and I said, look, you don't have to do this. He said, no, I I know I don't, but uh, I know that you're, you're engaged ministering to college students and you guys have a young family and I'm retired and I've got the time and I just really want to do this for you. And week after week after week, for the years that they lived next to us, he mowed my lawn every week through the summer. And uh, it was extremely difficult for me to receive that gift without feeling that I had to somehow pay for it. But what's interesting is I was not motivated to say, you know, because he's 
mowing my lawn, I think I'm just going to make it tough for him. I'm going to throw some junk in the yard, maybe some nails, whatever. I never, that never crossed my mind. What crossed my mind is how can I respond in kind? How can I respond by blessing that family? And moving forward in life, even still, I think, how can I display that mercy and grace to others, right? That's the impact of grace. And we sincerely believe that the only power through the Spirit that can transform men and women to live lives of holiness and righteousness is the power of grace. So we are a church rooted first and foremost and committed first and foremost to the good news of grace. Secondly, we are rooted in the Bible itself. We are a Bible church, Grace Bible Church, because uh, we hold, like Paul writes in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In other words, we don't primarily understand life through the lens of, say, psychology, although psychology may have things to say to us. We don't understand life primarily through the lens of science, although science may have things to say to us. We don't understand life primarily through the lens of politics, right? Well, never mind on that score, right? We don't understand life through all of these different lenses because we understand life through the revealed Word of God. And we believe that the Word of God, when we come in contact with it through the power of God's Spirit, once we understand the grace of God, that transforms our lives. And so week after week after week, we try to preach the Word of God. That's why our sermons primarily come from books of the Bible or concepts that are rooted in the Scripture so that we don't sit in our offices and dream up, here are the things that I would like to talk about that I think you might or might not want to hear. We go first and foremost to the Word of God. That's why our midweek Bible studies and home groups are always oriented around the Word of God. Many years ago when I was in high school, I visited church with a friend of mine, and I had grown up in a church that taught the Word of God and I visited a friend's church at her invitation. We walked into this church, and I'll never forget this. The pastor uh, opened up the Bible, and he read a passage of Scripture, and then he set the Bible down, and he closed it, and he set it aside, and then he proceeded for the next hour to talk about things that had nothing to do with what he had read. Primarily, he talked about the psychological concept of denial and why we should not engage in denial and what that does for our lives. And I remember thinking, that's all well and good, but it's not the Word of God, because the world can offer a lot of things, right? They can offer pop psychology. We can turn on Dr. Phil if we need our fix of pop psychology, right? And I kind of like Dr. Phil. He reminds me of sort of a cross between my dad and my junior high PE coach, right? He's motivating. He's got a big mustache like my dad does, and he, he says things that are supposed to make you think, like, how's that working for you, right? And you go, how is that working for me, right? And you just kind of process your life but it does not have the power of the Word of God. And so we are rooted in the Scripture so that as we move forward as a church, we're committed to the good news of grace, and then we read the Scripture because through the power of the Spirit, God communicates to us more and more and more about who He is, about what Jesus has done, and about the gospel. And so it is our source of authority for our lives 
and for our understanding of God. And so we're committed to grace, we're rooted in the Bible, and then thirdly, we are engaged in the mission of the church, that that capital C is deliberate. We're engaged in the mission of the universal church. All churches, we believe, have one mission, which is what Jesus said our mission was in Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations. So we want to engage in that mission as Grace Bible Church across this community with the different campuses we have. We are engaged, hopefully, in the mission of spiritual multiplication. If you were here a few weeks ago, that's what Benjamin Pinkerton talked about, that idea of discipleship, that men who are and women who are coming to know Jesus then turn around and help others come to know Jesus and train others to know him deeper, who then turn around and train others to know him deeper, and so on and so on and so on until Jesus returns. That's our mission. And so what we do is we create an environment where we can worship God, reflect on the gospel of Jesus Christ, know his word, fellowship with one another, and then ultimately we go out into the community and we all are ministers of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, the pastors and teachers are not the ones primarily who go out into the community and do all the ministry of the church. Instead, our role is simply to equip the men and women of this congregation to be ministers of the gospel so that we are multiplying disciples, not just within these walls, but throughout the community. So we're taking the gospel of grace into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our homes. So more and more men and women can hear the good news of Jesus, grow deeper in their understanding and love for him, and then share the gospel and repeat the process again. That's who we are, and that's what has driven Grace Bible Church for its 50-year history. And ultimately, it is what uh, drove Grace to become a multi-site church. If you're relatively new to Grace, I don't know how much you know about the history of Grace, but right around, say, the early to mid-90s, our Anderson campus, our original location, uh, was bursting at the seams. Uh, The seats were full. The parking was full. The kids' areas were full. In fact, I can distinctly remember uh, one Sunday when our uh, daughter was very young. My wife showed up to come to church, and I was preparing to teach the college students. She couldn't get into the nursery because there was no more space, right? And so it became the church for those who know how to persevere, right? The church of the persevering saints, because you would have to park early, get there an hour or so early to park, to get a seat. It was busting at the seams, and so the elders began to pray, and there were multiple options in terms of how can we accommodate the growth so more people can hear about Jesus. One of them was we could go out and build the biggest building in town, but somebody said, you know, we, we don't want to sell this location that's so close to the campus, Plus, we don't have enough money to build the biggest building in town anyway, because 70% of us are college students, right? So they began to think about a different strategy that was geared around spiritual multiplication. And the idea was this, if we start another campus where there's another teacher and there need to be more pastors and leaders and volunteers, we multiply our opportunities for ministry and for equipping 
and for leadership and training. And so that's when the Southwood campus was launched. And then a couple of years ago, we saw that Southwood and Anderson again were both busting at the seams. And so the elders began to pray and said, we think it's time to launch another campus in South College Station, not so we can be the biggest thing in town, but so that more men and women can be equipped to know and love Jesus and hear the good news of eternal life. I want to share a little bit about what God has done over the course of the last few months as, and years as we have prayed about uh, this campus beginning. Because the reason that we decided to launch in this area of town was because as we looked at College Station and saw how College Station was growing, we saw that this area of town was the fastest growing area of town. So we thought, well, let's plant a campus right in the heart of that growth. Let me just give you a few numbers about College Station. Some of this you may know, some of it you may not. Uh, the population as of the last census, this is what's on the sign as you drive into town, uh, 93,857 people. Now, I emailed the city last week to ask for an updated population estimate from December 2015, and they sent this number back. 106,465 people. So in five years, our, our town has increased around 13,000 people. They didn't have specific numbers for this area of town, but they said, just trust us that most of the growth is in South College Station. Right? What that means on average is this, six or seven people every single day are moving into this community, many of whom don't know Jesus. We could plant a new campus every year for the next 20, and probably not keep up with the growth in this town. So when the question comes up, why did we plant a campus in South College Station? This is why, because thousands of men and women every year are moving into this community who do not have an eternal relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And so we decided to plant here for the sake of sharing the gospel and making disciples in this community. Now, as we began to pray, we've seen God begin to fulfill some of this vision that we had to start a campus in the south part of town. Let me just give you a little bit of what's happened. First of all, in terms of staff, when we started the process of planning, the staff was me. Like, that was it. Um, We began to pray thinking there are things that I do not do well, there are things I cannot do. And so we actually approached Chris Thompson quite some time ago about being the campus pastor to help us with some ministries and some logistics and a number of things here. And he told us no, right? Uh, The first time we called him. Uh, We called him back and we said, please, we think you're wrong. And he said, no, again, right? So we prayed, right? We said, God's gonna have to tell him he's wrong, right? So we prayed about that. And over the course of the next few months, the Lord began to move in his heart, and he uh, decided to come here, right? And then after Chris got here, we began to pray about children's staff and worship staff and college staff, and one by one, we began to see these pieces fall into place until right as we were about to launch, I remember looking around and thinking, what an unbelievable group of men and women that God assembled to lead Grace Creek side at the start. He provided staff He provided a location where we're sitting right now, Pebble Creek Elementary School. Uh, I don't know how many of you would know this, but before we talked with CSISD, it had been about five years since they had had a church meet in one of their elementary schools. 
So we weren't sure how they would respond to this request. The process took a little bit of time, but what we found was, as we asked, they just kept saying yes to stuff, right? So we kind of kept asking for stuff uh, until uh, we just kind of braced for them to say no, but they have allowed us to meet here one service and then two services and to come in on Sundays and to worship in this place right in the heart of the area that we have wanted to reach. God provided this location. We're still praying now for a permanent location, a piece of property that we can buy where we can build a facility where we can be permanently housed in the south part of town. Pray with us for that. Pray that somebody will wake up tomorrow and say, you know, I have land in the south part of town and I think I'd just like to give it to Grace Bible Church. All right? Because we're praying that the Lord will continue as we move forward to provide for all of our needs. Financially, we raised a quarter million dollars for this launch. Uh, We looked at what we thought it would take for us to uh, get into this facility, to buy the equipment that we needed, uh, to fund some of the staff for the first year and set this target of $250,000. And I think we set a deadline by August 30th, which was right around our launch date. And what we found was by that point, we did not only reach that target, but we exceeded that target as God provided. Not only that, but the church budget itself continued to stay healthy across all of our campuses. In fact, at the end of December, if I'm remembering correctly, we were about $120,000 ahead of budget. It's one of the only times in the history of our church that I can remember us being that far ahead at the end of a calendar year. God has continued to provide as we've continued to trust him. And then uh, fourthly, people. Uh, We didn't know who, if anybody, would show up when we opened the door. We knew our staff would be here. We knew a few of our volunteers would be here. But uh, as we opened, we've seen God drawing families and students and young adults to come and worship with us and then go out into their communities. As, As you know, we filled up the first service quickly, moved to a second service. Last week, actually in January, early in January, last week we had more elementary kids over there than we have ever had since we launched. There were 66 elementary school kids in that gym last week. They said they ran out of chairs for the first and second graders, right? They were dragging chairs from other places. Not too much of a problem. Those kids don't sit down a whole lot anyway at that age, right? The uh, early childhood, I think, had about 50 Club 56 had about 12 or 13. If you're here first service, you can hear them through the wall actually shouting while we do worship in their excitement to know and worship God. We've seen men and women commit to volunteer, to serve, to lead home groups. We have eight home groups, I believe, going right now with over 100 people involved. And so God continues to draw men and women, not so that Grace Bible Church can be known, but so that his name can be known. So I think it's appropriate for us to talk about this this morning, to pause and just thank God and celebrate. This time last year, we were not in existence as a campus. And look at all that God has done. And rejoice as he continues to lead us to reach our community. That said, the work has just begun. Still a lot to do. I don't know how many of you have seen the Christmas movie Elf that has slowly become sort of a Christmas classic over the last 10 or 15 years about a human who is raised uh, at the North Pole by elves, right, and comes to this sort of self-crisis moment as an adult 
it's a, it's a funny movie, but there's a scene at the beginning that I was thinking of this week as, as I was talking about what's left to do. Toward the very beginning, it's right after Christmas, and they, they, there's a shot of the North Pole, and the elves are dancing, and they're rejoicing, and they're celebrating that they made it through another Christmas. And Santa stands up, and he says, all right, all right, all right, everybody calm down, pipe down. And he says, look, it's been a great, another successful year, another great Christmas. And he goes, after all that hard work, he says, now it's time to start preparations for next Christmas, right? And the elves just all go, yay, and they sit down and they start making toys again on Christmas Day. And I thought, to a certain extent, that's where we are. Right? We have our moment of celebration. We're grateful for what God has done. And then we say, you know what? It's time to keep pushing forward, to keep running the race with endurance, to remember why God has called us to be here. Very early on last August, in one of our sort of practice services, um, before school started here at Pebble Creek, I walked in prepared to preach, and uh, I looked up here above the stage, and they had taped the Olympic rings above the stage, right? There were hula hoops in five different colors across the stage, and I walked in and I thought, I'll bet no other pastor in town has such an inspiring backdrop under which to preach, right? I wanted chariots of fire or something playing as I came up, you know, but I thought what a great reminder to me to run the race with endurance, as Hebrews 12 says, that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we run the race set before us with endurance. There's a lot left to do because, again, within a mile or two of here, there are tens of thousands of people who need to know Jesus Christ, who need to begin a relationship with him based on his death and resurrection, and then need to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's why we're here. So for the next few moments as we prepare to wrap up, here's what I want to talk about is how can you and I participate in the mission God is moving us toward, in the direction that he's leading us? What must we do now? First of all, connect. Connect with God, connect with other people. If you don't know God through Jesus Christ this morning, where you start is simply by trusting that forgiveness of all your sin and eternal life is a free gift based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Connect with God. We connect with God when we come in here to worship, when we read his word, and then we connect with others. The reason we have home groups is so all of us can connect with people who know us and love us and pray for us and challenge us to know God better. I loved the prayer time we had last week where we shared requests and learned a bit about what's going on in our lives. My exhortation is let's continue that throughout the week, throughout the semester and year ahead. Uh, There's no reason that any of us should come in here and be anonymous. Have at least a few people who know your name, who know where you are with your walk with the Lord, with your family, in your work, and are praying for you and challenging you to know God. Because as we exhort one another to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ, that empowers us to go out and share the gospel. So connect with God, connect with others, grow, secondly, in knowledge, grow in skill, grow in our understanding of God's word and our ability to apply it. That's why we have sermons in here so we can grow in our understanding of God's word. It's why, again, our Bible studies are centered around the word of God. And not just so we can fill our minds with knowledge, but so that the spirit of God will empower us to obey what God is saying. 
at work and in our communities, our neighborhoods, in our families, to grow in knowledge, grow in skill. I think of how Jesus grew, right, in wisdom and in stature. Most of us are not growing in stature anymore, at least upwardly, right? But Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God. And man, he connected with God. He connected with others. He grew in his understanding of the word. And then he knew as, as the man who was also God, how to love others, how to serve others. And he deepened as he grew. So grow in knowledge and skill. Thirdly, find a place to serve. Yes, serve here at the church. There's plenty of opportunities in our setup and tear down times. Uh, We still need people to serve in those capacities. We still need people to serve in the nursery and in the children's ministry, people to lead home groups or Bible studies, serve here at church, but also at, at work, at home, and in your community. And what I mean is that most of us spend a lot more hours at work than we do here in this room, right? And so are we looking for opportunities to serve our coworkers, to serve our neighbors, to get to know those around us so they can see the love of Jesus Christ and hear the good news of Jesus. So serve, and then lastly, uh, multiply disciples. We multiply by telling the gospel, both here as well as overseas, which Chris will talk about in a moment. We actually are going to have an opportunity this summer for our little church to impact the world as some of us go overseas to share the gospel in another context, but we also share the gospel with our family, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, and then by training. As Benjamin talked about a couple of weeks ago, who are those men and women into whom you are investing, that you're sharing the word of God with, whom you're training to know him deeper? Who are the people you're investing in? Who are they investing in? And will we continue that process of spiritual multiplication from the beginning of Grace Creekside until Jesus returns? So connect, grow, serve, multiply. You'll see that terminology popping up in a number of our communications, both here at Creekside as as well as around the church as a whole. Connect, grow, serve, multiply, so that as we move forward, we can be a church that has a significant impact in a quickly growing community as we engage the men and women around us with the good news of Jesus Christ and ask him for the strength and ability to multiply disciples. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your word, all it has to teach us. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you this morning. I think about the book of Ecclesiastes next week and in the following weeks that it would also be convicting and challenging to the way we think and live and relate to you. Father, I pray that you would connect each of us with you, with one another, Help us through your spirit to grow. Lead us to opportunities to serve. And Father, give us the ability to to multiply disciples in our lives. Through you, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Good afternoon. Glad you guys are with us this morning. I wanted to uh, give you guys some direct ways that you can connect, grow, serve and multiply through these announcements. So uh, students, welcome back. Glad to have you guys back in town for spring semester. I know that starts up this week. Uh, Wanted to let you guys know about uh, specifics about our college ministry here at Creekside. We're going to actually have a college elective starting in a couple of weeks on January 31st in the Club 56 room during second service. And so coupled with um, 
college lunches where I know you guys have been going out to eat various restaurants around town. This is going to be a great opportunity to connect with each other as well as grow. It's going to be a, a neat elective, and I hope that you guys can take advantage of it. Another thing that's coming up, as Matt just mentioned, is our campus mission trip. I am so, so excited about the opportunity to go to Greece with some of you. Matt and I are going to be going on that trip, and we look forward to having the opportunity to be sharing the gospel and to being, be able to serve refugees specifically in Greece. But I also, I'm really looking forward to some time with you guys. For those that God may be leading to go on this trip, it's going to be awesome. So I'm looking forward to giving you guys more information about that next Sunday during the second service. And it's going to be a brief one, so if, if your schedule is such that you have to come to second service, that's okay, but, and you still want to hear the, the informational, it's okay, because it won't be the entire time. It'll, it'll really just be brief time starting at 11 o'clock in the Club 56 room, all right? So, and, and if you have kids with you or something like that, they're welcome to come in and hear about that as well, although the trip itself will really be for high school students and up. So, looking forward to that. These next two announcements are kind of a, a duo, a kind of a, a coupling. First is that this coming Sunday, a week from today, we're going to have our Grace Family Gathering at the Anderson Campus, 530. Be a good time of fellowship, good time getting to see people from the other campuses, and also it'll be an opportunity to be engaged with what's going on in the church, what's coming up, voting items. We have some elders coming up for vote, other things like that. Um, I want to encourage you guys, if you're a member here, to participate in that, and then On the other hand, for those of you guys that are not members, we do have a membership class coming up the week after that. So that's the 31st is our Discover Membership opportunity, 1230 at Anderson. You will need to register for that because they need to know who's coming for lunch, as well as if you have child care needs. You need to get the little ones taken care of during that time. But going back to that Grace Family Gathering uh, opportunity next Sunday, I I recognize that the Discover Membership is the following week, and for those of you that are going to do that, and yet you're kind of interested and intrigued by this Grace Family Gathering, come. You're welcome to come, enjoy it, be a part, see what's going on. Certainly during the vote, you're not, you're not eligible to participate in that, but we'd love to have you. That would be great. So if you want to do that, even in anticipation of the membership class that's coming up, that'd be great. The last thing that I have is our Grace 360 event that's coming up this coming Saturday. It's going to be a, a fantastic time. I really just want to kind of reinvigorate you with this thought. Truly, we are all in ministry. We are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what our occupation is, no matter what our profession is, and even if we don't get paid by a company or get a regular paycheck, if you're a stay-at-home mom or if, you're, um, if you do volunteer work, whatever it is, you are still ministers of the gospel of Christ. And so I want to re just put that back on our, on our forethought of our, our minds because this conference is going to be just about that, developing an integrated life about how we can truly be ambassadors for Christ no matter where we are and integrating that faith that is truly the foundation of everything we do. So this conference is going to be wonderful. It's going to be a great time to, um, to really think about that throughout the year. And uh, it's going to be filled with lots of different speakers, lots of different topics, being able to chart your own course throughout the morning. I really encourage you guys to come and check that out. That's Saturday. More information online. I hope that you guys will come. That's all I have for this morning, or this afternoon, I should say. You guys have a great week. Go in God's grace.